Welcome all you investors out there. When you invest in real estate rental properties, you are buying your future away out of a job. You're making sure that you have income coming in so that you never have to work a job again. Now, this is the Master Passive Income Show. I'm super excited that you guys are here. Today, we are following up on last week's episode where we talked all about getting over the fear of buying that first property. I know lots of people, including myself, I am absolutely included in this. When I bought my first property, it was so scary, but I did it. I pulled the trigger, I bought that first property, and now looking back, I'm so blessed that I got that first one. It's hard, but we can go through it and we can actually get it done. Now today we're gonna be finishing out the rest of this topic, talking about getting rid of that fear or breaking through that fear and having courage in the face of fear and actually getting your property bought and done. And I'm going to give you step-by-step process to actually do this and implement that into your life so you can get that first property. All right, guys, let's get in there and let's start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for being here with me on the show today. I really appreciate you lending me your ear. Hopefully, you guys are getting a lot out of this and you guys are changing your life with real estate rental properties. Now, this episode is the follow-up to last week's episode where we talk all about the fear and what is keeping us back from buying that first property. It's really nerve-wracking. Now, before we get into the show, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in today's market. Now, if you're investing in real estate rental properties... We make money, whether it's an up market, a down market, or a sideways market. Like basically, if prices are going up, we still make money. When prices are going down, we make money. When prices don't go anywhere, you know, the price of home just stays flat, we still make money. And there's many different reasons why. And the biggest one is because we make money six different ways when we buy a real estate rental property. Now, the biggest one that I would strongly recommend, and this is why we talk about this over and over again, is the passive income that comes in your pocket every single month. Now, let's say there's a big market crash, like it happened in 2009. You know, all the properties crashed and there was so, you know, nobody wanted to buy. Prices just just really sunk, maybe like cut in half. Well, in times like that, we're still going to be fine because we invest in passive income and we invest to put money in our pocket every single month in cash flow. We don't invest for appreciation. You know, if the value of my homes decrease, it's a bummer, but they'll go back up. So I bought my first properties in 2006, 2007, 2008 before the crash. And in buying those properties, you know, they, it did come down, but at the same time, it went right back up. Now today, in today's climate, you know, this is March when I'm recording this of 2009. And I'm looking at, there's a few different things that I wanted to share with you. Number one, interest rates are rising. Interest rates are rising, which means price of the homes have to come down because people only have so much they could spend on a mortgage or on rent. Like when interest rates go up, that does not mean that that employee is making any more money. They only have $1,200 or $1,500 or $1,700 that they can afford for rent or a mortgage. 
So because of that, they can't buy those big houses anymore. Like the $300,000 homes that they might want to buy, well, they can't afford it because the interest rates are higher and they their home $1,500 can only go so far. It can maybe cover, you know, like $200,000 as opposed to $300,000. So that's a big one that is good for us as investors because we invest for cash flow. And what we want is prices to come down. Even though interest rates go up, prices will come down. And with prices coming down, puts more money in our pocket because we have more money that is coming into our pocket as opposed to going out. Now, we love it when prices come down. Now, that's a good thing. Now, here's another thing. With the economy right now, we can see or I'm seeing a more stagnation and prices are somewhat leveling off, if not coming down a little bit in the recent months. Now, it could also be because it's winter right now or it's coming out of winter, getting into spring. So we may see an uptick in prices and and prices of homes. But what I've seen for the past, I don't know, seven, eight years, prices of homes have just kept coming up for year after year. Now, here's the sad thing. And this is something something I want to give you a little bit of heads up that prices are right back up to where they crashed in 2009. If you could think about the price of a home in 2009, it was a certain price. Let's say, you know, it appreciated all the way up or, you know, the value went up to $300,000. Well, in 2010, it crashed to where, you know, somebody could buy it for $150,000. Well, in 10 years, and there's no reason why, in my opinion, in 10 years, it should go up as high as it is. But right now, it's back up to where it was in 2009. Just look at a graph on a chart. Like, go to Zillow, look up any home. You'll see the home price in 2008 being really high. Then you see it drop down dramatically when the crash hit in 2009. You'll see the bottom out just a little bit and then start coming back up, climbing back up. Now you see that the prices are right back up to where it crashed. In 10 years, it absolutely should not have happened like that. So my opinion is, and I want to give you, you know, shoot straightforward with you guys, that you there are still great deals out there, but you need to work harder to get those deals. Now, if it was back in 2010, you can find deals left and right. I was finding deals left and right. So like I was literally turning down deals, even though they were amazing, because amazing, I didn't have enough money to buy the properties. I was having to turn down deals. Now, this time, it seems like there's going to be a correction in the market sometime soon, maybe this year or next year. But I, I, I'm just being very cautious in saying that, you guys, the market's not going to always go up. So I want you to be aware that when the market does correct or possibly even crash, which would be a bummer for most people, for us as investor, it's the best time. So right now, in this time, I'm looking at basically holding on or, or basically waiting for good deals to come. And I'm holding on to my cash because I know something's going to come where it's it'll probably or definitely there'll be a correction in the prices of the homes, but there might even be a crash. And if there's a crash, I'm going to be gobbling up properties left and right. I think there's an old saying like when there's blood in the streets and people are running, you need to be buying then. That's when you need to be buying. So I am on the lookout for good deals right now. But at the same time, I'm also knowing that in the future, there is going to be some sort of correction in the market and I'm going to have money ready to buy apartment complexes, buy more single family homes, buy bigger homes and and you know for myself to live in or whatever it might be. I am ready to dive into that. But this is the biggest thing I want to give you is that I want you to guys to invest in passive income. Don't invest for appreciation. Like if you think right now, well, hey, the prices have gone up, you know, the last 10 years, it's going to keep going up. I better buy now before I can't buy it in the future. Get that out of your mind. That's what they were saying in 2008, 2009. They were saying, buy it now because if you don't, you're gonna the market's going to pass you and you're never going to be able to buy. That's not true. 
Don't fall into that hype where you need to buy now. You only want to buy for passive income. They're trying to tell you that inflation and appreciation and all that stuff is going to keep going up. Well, you want to be wise. You want to be cautious. Keep listening to my podcast. I'll keep giving you updates on the market. But what I'm doing is I wait for deals and I buy those good deals. But I'm also cautious knowing that there are going to be even better deals. Deals, excuse me. There'll be better deals here in the near future when the market does correct or, you know, God forbid, actually crash. But when it does, I'm ready there to gobble everything up. And just give you an example, like the stock market. If you see that all of a sudden, you know, Amazon, let's say Amazon, I think it's like $1,500 or $2,000. Let's just give you round numbers. Let's say Amazon.com, you buy the stock for $2,000. Well, the market crashes and it goes from $2,000 to $1,000. You're thinking, man, it's a deal now. I still know it's a fantastic company. I still know they're making money hand over fist. Now it, it's discounted. It's it's half off. You know, it's I could buy this, um, this company for half off. Let me gobble up on those, the shares of that company, which is in fact what I would do as soon as I see see a correction in the real estate market. I think there's going to be a correction in the stock market, even though I don't buy stocks for, you know, like by day trading and all that sort of stuff. I'm still smart in knowing that there are good companies out there that are making money hand over fist that can make me money. So I might even do that as well. So you guys be cautious, but at the same time, watch for deals. Now we're going to be picking up back off of the last episode where we talked all about the fear. And I had a bunch of questions that we were going through. And I want to walk you through a few of the questions right now. So let's say you start feeling overwhelmed. You start seeing so many different properties. You're, there's so many things you don't know. Well, you want to get educated. You don't want to lose sight of your goal. In order to get out of feeling overwhelmed, you need to get education to help you to know where you're going, but then also have the perseverance because your goal in the future of what you want to do with your life and not work a job or be able to travel the world or whatever it might be, you want to be able to keep that in the forefront of your mind so it makes you work harder towards it. The next question I get is, what if I lose money? And again, I'm just quickly going over these. If you want to learn more about these, go to the last episode, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash zero five one. That's the first 51st podcast episode. Today, this is the 52nd podcast episode, and we're talking about the fear of buying your first property. I'm giving you practical steps, so I'm just going over quickly. So people ask, what if I lose money? You know, if, if you lose money, well, you don't want to lose money. Obviously, nobody wants to lose money, but what you need to do is mitigate those possibilities of you losing money. And by doing that, you are going to buy the right property. You're going to build a business. You're going to make sure you have enough income coming in from that property. And again, go back to the last episode where we talked all about how to do that. Now, people also ask, what if I buy the wrong property? Well, you need to build a team around you to help you find the right property. And what if I buy in the wrong area, the state or the country, wrong area of the country, or even the wrong town or possibly even the wrong street? What if I do that? Well, there's ways around that. Now, I get so many questions about tenants, and this is what we're going to pick up on. People are going to ask, you know, what if I get bad tenants? And I would talk about this in the last episode, but let's pick it up here from here. So if I get bad tenants, the biggest thing you want to do is stop getting bad tenants. That's the It's easy to say, harder to do, but here's what you want to do is run background checks. Always, always, always run a background check. Even if you need to pay yourself for the background check because the tenant won't or the possible applicant will not pay for the background check, you absolutely need to pay that yourself because you're going to be saving so much money in the long run. A $30 background check could save you as much as $2,000 in the turnover of property for somebody being evicted. Now, here's another question easily comes right after that is, what if I have an eviction? 
You know, what if I have an eviction that is going to, you know, have somebody stay in my property for a month, maybe two months, or if you live in California, like eight months, because it takes forever for California to evict anybody. I'm probably I'm more tongue in cheek. It's probably maybe like three or four. But anyways, so what if I have an eviction? And again, I mean, I have to say it again, do a background check. You're mitigating against losses by picking the right people to be inside your property. Another part of it is, don't let the tenant stay in the property longer than absolutely necessary. If they stop paying, you need to have business rules set up. And here's another part, another huge pro tip I'm going to give you. I'm going to walk you through this. And if you go to my show notes, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 052. This is the 52nd Master Passive Income episode where I show you the business rules that you need to follow. So go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 051. Now here's the business rules that you set up. Now, when I say business rules, this is what you're going to be giving your property manager and that's what you're going to make sure that they follow. So set up business rules for your tenants. Number one, rent is due on the first. Always on the first. You know, I've had some people, we're moving in on the 21st. Can we have that be our date? No, no, no. We'll just prorate it to where the first is your due date and we'll prorate it, but you always do on the first. It gets convoluted if you do not have it on the first. Have everybody on the first because if you have, you know, 30 properties and each one has a different date, it just gets too crazy. Have everybody on the first. So number one, rent is due on the first. Number two, it is late after the third. So that would be like March 4th. You know, March 3rd, it's actually going, it's still still um, not late, but March 4th, it's actually late. So you charge them a late fee. And on top of that, you put in a three-day notice. So as soon as the 4th hits, you give them a three-day notice. And it's nothing special. All you do is you write a, a letter and you pay, tape it to the front door. Like you literally have to tape it to the front door. You can't like email it or anything like that. You, have, you tape it to the front door, letting them know like, the rent is due, you are late now, and we're going to have to start the eviction process once the three-day notice is done. Now, what you're doing is basically letting them know that, hey, you mean business. Like, you cannot keep living in my place for free. Like, if I didn't pay my mortgage, the bank would come after me and take my property away from me. So you need to hold them accountable to this. So you want the three-day notice to be put on the door on the 4th or the day that it's late, put it on there because you don't want to wait for that three-day notice. Let's say, for instance, you're, I'm going to be the nice guy. I'm going to let, you know, I'm not going to give a three-day notice. You know, and the 14th rolls around, the 18th rolls around, and each time they said, hey, but next Friday. Oh, and then, you know, next Wednesday or next Friday or the first of the month. They keep pushing it back. Well, then if you haven't put your three-day notice on it, you cannot start the, literally cannot start the eviction. It's against the law to start the eviction unless there's a three-day notice. Most states, I mean, it might be some states where it doesn't work like that, but majority of states that I invest in, or all the states that I invest in, you put the three-day notice first, and then after those three days, you can start the eviction process. So if you wait until the first of the next month, like you wait an entire month, well, then you can't just start the eviction on the first of the next month because they haven't paid. You have to wait until you put the three-day notice and then wait three more days, which adds insult, adds, what was it? Insult to injury on top of that. You have to wait three more days before you can even start the eviction. And the eviction process takes about a month. And so the three-day notice is going to be given on the fourth. Now, here's my business rule I'm going to give you. Put this inside the three-day notice that eviction starts on the 14th. You know, I give them a leeway. I'm not going to start the eviction right away. You can say the 10th, you can say the 15th, you can say the 25th, whatever you want to do. But I let them know that the eviction is going to start on the 14th and it's not going to stop. Here's the last part. The, to, to stop the eviction, the tenant must pay all back rents 
late fees and fees for the eviction, lawyer fees and all that sort of stuff. Now, some courts might say, hey, you can't charge for that. Well, I still try. I still try to get them to pay. If they want to stop the eviction, they pay. You know, sorry, the, what the courts might say is, hey, if you, um, they, they're willing to pay everything but the legal fees in order to stop the eviction. You can't st- you can't pay for the legal fees. It's not like it's against the law for them to pay for the legal fees. The court sometimes just won't enforce that. They won't say, hey, this is a requirement. They might say, hey, they can pay everything else but the eviction. Anyways, all that to say, you want your business rules set up. Remember, rent is due on the 1st, late after the 3rd, three-day notice on the 4th, eviction starts on the 14th or whatever date you choose, but you do not stop the eviction until the tenant pays all back rents, all late fees, and fees for eviction. Now, here's another pro tip. A pro tip I'm going to give you. Do not collect any money unless it's the full amount like the tenant might say, you know, once the eviction started and it's already going, the tenant says, here's $100. I'm going to pay $100. Or even, you know, let's say the rent is $1,000. They give you $900. Say, here's $900. Now you might say, hey, great, that's $900. Well, you literally cannot continue with the eviction. The eviction stops. You have to file it all over again. So my opinion, how I run my business is I don't take any money unless it's the full payment you absolutely want to make sure you protect yourself from having to start the eviction all over again. Now, here's another thing that some that happens to most people is they get analysis paralysis. If you guys have ever heard that term, it's where you're overanalyzing. You have too much information going in your brain that you can't really make a solid decision. You can't figure out which one's the best one, even though you kind of think it is, but you kind of get paralyzed where you're thinking, oh man, I don't know if I'm making the right decision. Now, my answer to that is two things. Number one, you need to get coaching. You need to get somebody that's a third party that's going to be looking at the deals for you who's done it before and say, this is what you're doing You know, with these eight properties. This is the number one. Here's number two. Here's number three. With the goals that you're going after, this is what I would suggest. Now, you make your own decision, but I would say go ahead and pull the trigger on these properties because these are good for you. And that, that usually, with all my students, that gets them over that hump, that hurdle to actually pull the trigger to buy that property. Now, here's the second part to that is as an investor, getting that first property is always the hardest. It's always the hardest out of all the properties to buy because we're we're nervous, we're concerned, we're worried, all that sort of stuff. What I suggest is get one win under your belt. Get past that analysis paralysis, get past all the issues and Force yourself to buy that first property. Once you do, you get one win under your belt. Win would be having a property that makes you money every single month. Then it's going to be so much easier for you to buy that next property. Get one win under your belt. Now, here's a tip I want to give you. Do not lose money. And this goes back to um, the question earlier, but you don't want to lose money in this business. Now, here's a suggestion I'm going to give you. Make sure that you will make money by reducing your income from your rental property, let's say you think you're going to rent it out for $1,200. Well, I would say, you know, cut it by at least 10, maybe 20% and see if you're still going to make money. So if you're thinking you're going to make, you know, $1,200 a month in rent, imagine you only make $1,000. If you make $1,200, that's fantastic. Good for you. But in your numbers, calculate $1,000 instead of $1,200, just in case there was something you missed a number or you missed something or, or the property manager told you a wrong number or whatever it might be. You want to make sure that you do not overestimate your income and underestimate your expenses. You want to have that all taken care of. I'll give you an example, like one area in, in, that I invest in, in Houston, there's actually a city tax on top of a county tax. Everywhere I've, I've invested, it's a county tax, but this had a city tax and get this, 
it was even double the amount the county tax was. So imagine the sticker shock when I saw a $2,300 tax bill come to me. It's like, what? $2,300? That's a lot of money. Now, what it, I was, praise the Lord, it was, I got a really good deal on the property. So I was making uh, $650 a month. So I was able to take that hit when I saw that sticker shock, but it, I make a lot less money than I normally would. I have $2,300 less per year, which is a huge bummer. But oh well, you know, I had, I, I had a, enough padding in there. So what I'm telling you is don't lose money and you work on making at least $250 a month and make sure that you cut your income and you increase your expenses. And if your numbers work well, then then you probably have a good property. Now, here's another thing to get over that hurdle. You want to know your numbers on the property. So you calculate all your expenses. Know the numbers, meaning calculate making sure you're going to make $250 or more every single month. So in calculating your expenses, you want to double check and triple check all the expenses. Like, you know, is there a city or a state or a county tax? Or if there's even like a local HOA that you didn't know about, whatever it might be, you want to find every expense and you want to calculate all that in. And I'm going to tell you that even if you plan on managing the property yourself, you also want to make sure that you put in the price of a property manager. Because let's say, God forbid, something happened and you needed to have somebody else manage the property. Well, you don't want to be losing money, so you're going to have that expense accounted in. Imagine that is your you paying yourself. Now, the next thing, along with knowing the numbers on the property, you want to buy according to your goals and financial ability. You know, I'm not going to buy a million-dollar property because, number one, it'd be a waste of money because you can't rent it for that much. That's <laughs> side the point. But you if your goals, if your financial goal is just to slowly build wealth, then just buy a property that is going to be lower in in maintenance and lower in you know headaches and and not just headaches. That's not the right way to say it, but you have less work on the property because you're buying a better property. Now, for me, I my goal was to quit my job as fast as possible. So I started with the cheapest rental properties. I I was buying properties for you know twelve, thirteen thousand dollars, and in doing that, there was a lot more work I had to do. But my goal was to be aggressive and to get as much money in my pocket and passive income as possible. And so that was my goal. Now, my financial ability was I only had seventeen thousand dollars to start with, so I had to use that to the best of my ability. Some people may start with you know three hundred thousand then they have a different financial ability to buy. So you want to buy according to your goals. And I'm going to tell you that when I work with my students, I work with them in where they are financially. You know, if they have $15,000 to invest or $300,000 or more to invest, I figure out where they are, what their goals are, and what their financial ability is. And I give them options. I say, here are your options. You need to choose the best one, but these are the best routes that you can go for your goals and for your financial ability. Now this, we're just about done. Now I want to give you a to-do list. When you start feeling like, oh man, I have this property that I really want to buy, or man, I, I want to start investing and I'm just scared of buying that first property. Obviously, the first property is the hardest, but here's the to-do list that I want you to go through. The first thing to thought to think about, and I've said this before, is the easiest part of real estate investing is to actually buy the property. That's super easy. There's so many people that want to help you do that. Everything from realtors to title companies, wholesalers, all that sort of stuff. So buy in the right location. So finding the right state, finding the right city, even the right neighborhood, and even the zip code that you want to make sure that you find the right place to invest in. And that's by doing research. So your first to do, 
find the right location. Your second to do is to have your business set up before you buy the property. Finding the property managers, selecting the property managers, realtors, wholesalers, all these different business um, other professionals that are going to be doing the work for you. You want to have that set up before you buy the property, have your business completely set up and they're going to help you set up the business right by, you know, having a good property manager finding he's going to find or he or she is going to find the right property or inspect the right property. The realtor is actually going to find you certain areas and say, this is better areas better than this one. Here's a good property, all that sort of stuff. So you have your business set up people doing the work for you before you even buy. Next one is you need to find the right property to buy, like actually find the right property that is actually going to be the right one for you where you're not going to be afraid of the rehab. Like it's not, you know, $80,000 property and you're putting another $80,000 in to fix it up. It's not like that. You want to be able to get that, get that first win under your belt. We have a good property. You maybe put $3,000 into the property with paint, carpeting, you know, new fixtures or something like that. Like you put a few thousand dollars into it, but you're not doing a full remodel. That's a lot of work. And that's a whole nother, another podcast episode. So you want to find the right property and you're going to use other people to do that for you. Next step is your next to do is run the numbers to make sure you're making at least $250 or more each month. And also go with my other tip, my other pro tip is decrease your income from your rents and increase your expenses just to see if you're still gonna make money just in case if something didn't happen. So run the numbers, make which means figure out if you're making $250 or more each month in passive income. Next step or to-do is have inspectors go through the property before you buy it. I am so glad when I find properties that are that have work to do. So when I find them, I know that there's probably other things that I haven't seen. The home inspector is gonna look at the entire property and give you a general understanding of the entire property. And what's great is when I get those back, usually, you know, hopefully it's it's hey, this property looks great. Let's go ahead and buy it. It's I don't see anything new. Or there is something new like, hey, the foundation's a little off. You know, it's off by like two inches um, down on one side and opposed to possibility the other. Well, I can go back to the, to, not the buyer, the seller. I can go back to the seller and say, hey, there's foundation issues. I didn't know this beforehand. I need to adjust my offer or I need you to fix up that or, you know, fix that entire, you know, uh, uh, sinking slab in which they can, they can, it's not, not horrible, but, um, I need you to fix that before I can buy the property. So have your inspectors go through the property. You can either, if you want to back out, you absolutely can, because hopefully you put an inspection period and I'll tell you that. And that's, that's why I tell my students, make sure it's an inspection period. Another pro tip for you. But on top of that, the inspectors will give you the ability to renegotiate. And they'll also say, Hey, you have a good peace of mind. This is a good property. So uh, one thing I want to give you is on top of that next to do is you need to make an offer and leave room for negotiation. So I'm going to give you another pro tip is this is me as a negotiator. I love negotiating. I love getting uh, cheaper in price. I love bringing the price down. Now, what's great is I have this saying that I give all my students. If you don't feel uncomfortable with the offer, you may be offering too much. Like if you're thinking, well, they're asking $350,000, you know, I'm gonna, I know I want to negotiate, so I want to come down, so I'm going to offer $348,000. <laughs> you're taking $2,000 off. Well, you're probably not going to feel uncomfortable. I'll tell you what, I bought a property, and this was back in 2010, I think, 20, 2009, 2010, right when the market crashed. So I had, it was a, a little different um, scenario, but they were asking like $25,000 for the property. I literally offered $6,500. It was a bank, an REO, so it was a bank, so I didn't care about her in the 
of feelings. But at first I was like $6,500. I kind of feel a little nervous or I feel uncomfortable with the offer because it's such a low offer. Well, it turns out after six months of not responding to my offer, they came back and said, hey, is that offer still available? I said, yes, it is. And so I bought the property for $6,500 as opposed to $25,000. So if you don't feel uncomfortable with the offer, you may be offering too much. Work on coming down. Don't feel like you're ripping somebody off. You want to feel like you're helping somebody because who knows, that might be the best offer that they're going to get and they need to take it because, you know, maybe they're getting a divorce and maybe they need the money or whatever it might be. Now, another to do to do now, the last one is allow others to do the rehab for you. I know a lot of people get concerned and worried about the rehab and how much it's going to cost and who's going to do it. You want others to do it. Everything from the the contractors to property managers to roofers, all that sort of stuff. And I want to give you a few other things. Number one, get multiple quotes. Get multiple quotes on everything, you know, from the entire contracting business. Um, You know, a contractor comes in, you want two contractors to come in. If you have a septic system, make sure you get at least two or three quotes on that. But a big thing I want to give you with getting multiple quotes, negotiate the price. Negotiate the price on everything. If you get, you know, three quotes, negotiate lower the price with all of them. I'll give you an example. So just recently, like literally like two days ago, I was literally in Salt Lake City. I got this email from my property manager. Number one, she got one quote for the property to be fixed up. You know, the tenant was evicted. I had to fix up the property, came back that there's three thirty five hundred dollars worth of work. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's way that's ridiculous. I that's I, I can't pay that. That's just way too much. Cause I knew the scope of work and I just thought it was way too much. I said, I need you to get me at least two more quotes. Like one quote is not good enough for a thirty five hundred dollar job. If it's thirty five hundred dollars, then so be it. It's thirty five hundred dollars. But this is ridiculous. I need at least two more quotes. She came back, one was or she got two quotes came back and said, hey, one of them is, you know, uh, I think it was like 3,200, which is great. Another one came back at 2,800. I'm like, okay, great. So we have two different quotes. I said, well, what do you what do you think about the 2,800? Is it a good company or are they just going to do shoddy work? She says, no, it's a good company. I think they're going to do really well and we caught everything and everything looks good. We're going to go with them or we recommend going with them. I said, great. Ask them if they'll do it for 2,500. And she's like, uh, Okay. And I said, yeah, ask them if they'll do it for 2,500. They actually did. They came back and said, yes, we'll do everything. The entire scope of work for $2,500. Can you believe that? So fantastic ability to have money saved because I just asked two questions. Number one, get me multiple quotes. Number two, I asked, can they come down on the price? Like, you know, can you do it for $2,500? So that is a great way for you to save money. Now this wraps up this episode talking about the fear and how you can get past that fear of buying that first rental property. Hopefully you've seen and you now have the understanding that you can actually do it, that getting that win under your belt where you get that first property making you money, you just got to do it. You got to pull the trigger. Now, if you're interested at all in coaching, I'd love to help you out. I'd love to see if we would be a good fit in coaching. Go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash coaching where I can help you out. There's an application process to see if we're going to be a good fit, see if everything's going to work out well with us. All right, you guys, take care of yourselves. I hope you're doing fantastic. Go out there, start investing. Just get that first property so you can get moving, building your business and quit your job and live the life of your dreams. All right, guys, you take care. I'll see you next week. Peace out.